So good to see you all. Welcome to those of you that are watching online. Oh, it's a privilege every time to come together, isn't it? It's the best. It's the best to be together. And in this time, and in this time when this world is going crazy, we come together and we focus on the one who can save, we focus on the one who can heal, we focus on the one who rescues, we focus on the one who delivers. He is our only hope. He is our only salvation. And so he's why we're here. And so God, this morning we say, we love you. We look to you. We lean on you fully. We rely on you. Every part of our hearts just says, we tune in right now to you. And we say, oh God, make us one. One sound with heaven this morning. One sound with heaven this morning. Let it be on earth just like it is in heaven. We declare, we say, we will open wide our mouths and you will fill them and you will bring forth a wonderful message of hope and peace into this land today. We love you, Lord. We give you all of our praise this morning. So let's jump in, all in this morning. You know, this morning I just feel like I, I need to exhort us. We here in this community, we're in a fortunate situation. But others are not so convenienced right now. We got brothers and sisters on both sides of the conflict in Russia and in the Ukraine who right now are desperate for the kingdom of heaven, desperate for justice, desperate for the peace of God to come down to the earth. And, uh, you know, we, we, are, we are a product of our environment and it's very hard for us to perhaps get that sense of urgency because the urgency isn't immediate for us but I pray that we could come out of that and realize that there is an urgent need for the kingdom of heaven on earth right now not only not only in, across the world not only in Europe but very close friends of mine lost their 18-year-old youngest daughter two nights ago in a head-on collision, and their life is devastated. I mean, just, they are destroyed. I just saw the father in Calgary with us at the Alberta Link. I mean, they are in shambles right now. There are people around us. There might be people in this room, maybe don't have that level of angst, that level of, of urgency, but there are needs represented in this body. We have an opportunity when we're worshiping not to just enjoy the moment, but to draw on an atmosphere that can comfort those who are in, in pain, those whose life is falling apart right in this moment. And I pray that we can let God use us to say, Lord, your kingdom come. Father, your kingdom come. Lord, we may not need it desperately in this moment, but there are people just beyond the touch of our lives right now, God, who desperately need your presence. Father, we say, God, may we be a voice that says your kingdom come. Fill the earth. Fill the earth. Fill the earth. God, fill the earth. Fill the earth.
Now, I know for some of you, it's hard to stay connected in this atmosphere, but let me quickly explain something to you. When we are called to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we're not just going through the motions of something. Throughout the scriptures, there's moments when the armies of heaven advance, and there's moments when the armies of heaven do not advance. These things do not happen because God is desirous of them happening. He always wants it to happen. But the things that, that we see hinge on our faith, on what we do. There were times when Israel lost the battle, yet there were times when they won. There was a time when Elisha said, those that are with us are more than those that are against us. That is the equation for victory. But how does that happen? Why was it the armies of God advanced in the tops of the mulberry bushes when David was going to war? Why didn't they do it all the time? Everything hinges on the faith of the people of God on earth. What we're doing right now, we may not see the effect of it, but there is moving in the heavenlies. There is a door that is opening that is allowing the armies of angels to advance into the realm of the earth. God, God, we say your kingdom come. Come on, let's release the sounds. Father, we say today, Lord, for the military conflict that is happening in Russia, in the Ukraine right now, Father, we don't know what it is that you intend to accomplish through this. Lord, we don't know even who stands on the side of righteousness. And it may be that neither, neither nation stands exclusively on the side of righteousness. But we know, Lord, that you have an intention. You have a purpose. You have the purpose to exalt your own name, to establish righteousness in the earth, to tear down systems of wickedness, systems of evil. Father, we say, let your will be done. Let your will be done. You know, this moment reminds me of a conference we were doing in Guatemala. And there was a moment when we were beginning to declare, your kingdom come, your will be done. And it felt like God gave us a unique kind of authority in that window of time. And the next day after that, after that event, a sump hole opened in the middle of Guatemala City. And, and we had prayed that God would advance against the gates of hell. And the, t and the heading in the paper the next day said that the gates of hell had opened in Guatemala City. And what happened was this huge sump hole had opened up. And through dealing with that, 
they discovered that in the basement of a very old police headquarters that was on the corner of that property were thousands and thousands and thousands of dossiers of the atrocities that had been committed on behalf of the government and the military against innocent civilians. Murders, names, places where entire villages had been, had been slaughtered and buried. And so that, that thing, that sumphole, became the means for God to bring righteousness to the nation of Guatemala. So we are praying today, God, that righteousness would come to Russia, Ukraine. Global circumstances we have not understood and we've only seen what the world has presented to us. God, we say, we don't know, but you do. So we say, let righteousness let righteousness come to the nations. Let the subterfuge of darkness and deception, let the curtain be pulled back. Let the curtain be pulled back. We pray in Jesus' name. Come on, let's lift our hands like Moses did when Israel was fighting the Amalekites. Let's believe that our worship is advancing the cause of righteousness in the earth. You might be thinking, you know, uh, this is a little far removed from my needs. <laughs> you know, uh, I've got more pressing issues in my immediate world. And likely, if we did a survey around the room, there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of needs represented right here in the room. So why should we be doing this? Yeah, okay, not to say it's not important, but what relevance does this have to worship in a local church? Let me just say everything, because the way the kingdom of God works, this is, this is perhaps the most phenomenal scripture for your future victory right here. It's Matthew six thirty-three. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know what all the things were? All the things you need, all the present crises in your life, all the needs for house, for money, for situations that are close to home. He says, I will take care of those things if you develop enough faith to reach beyond your immediate vicinity. If you develop and have the faith to believe that there's an effectiveness for things beyond the scope of your present life, I will take care of your present life. The church that is going to advance and bring the kingdom of heaven is the church that stops navel-gazing and waiting for their needs to be met. The church that denies themselves stops thinking about what is going wrong in their life and instead pays it forward. Pays it forward. Reaches to the next person, the next situation, the next nation. That's how we release the kingdom of God on earth. That's how it comes home. And the more energy you give to your situation, 
the less likely it will be handled by the providence of heaven. That's the way this works. Because God has arranged that to destroy the narcissism of focus on us. He says, I'm going to make you deal with things that aren't you. I'm going I'm to starve that need to be preoccupied with yourself. And so, yeah, it's not easy. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, those prophetic guys. I don't know what to do in a time like this because it's not relevant to me. Doesn't, doesn't touch my preference. My heart is about this or this or this. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. So, Father, we, we ask, God, that you would make us a people who can manifest your kingdom, who can be concerned with the next tier that isn't, that won't shine necessarily on us, that won't make a change immediately for my life. Father, give us the faith of the centurion who did not Jesus to be right there to see those things happen. God, give us faith that reaches across space and time. Don't get into your mind about what might it be. Don't get into speculation. Just keep that sound up, Ken. That's the sound of release. There's a sound of release. There's a sound of an open door. There's a sound of resource coming from heaven to the earth. Release the sound. We hear the sound. We hear the sound. We hear the sound. We hear the sound of resources. We hear the sound of supply. We hear the sound of the armies of heaven. We feel the advancement. We say, God. He said, I want to make you my house, a house of prayer for all nations. Come on. This is church. This is what we're meant to do. This is fundamental to what we're called to be. Let me just say, I think we're reaching the end of our capacity as a body. But the rivers of God... The river that makes glad the city of God, they run endlessly. And we tap into them and we tap out. The day's going to come when we're going to be doing 
Continuous worship. Continuous prayer. Not because we're disciplined. Not because we have the willpower to execute. But we're going to be so in tune with what's released. And my passion is that God would have a people who can pray the way he wants us to pray. Who can contend for things that he wants us to contend for. Uh, You know the stories, if you go back in history of the prayer that went on in England during World War II that caused the miracles that led to a shift in the war. That was born of prayer miles and miles and miles away from the actual front of the conflict. And, and at the same time, there was people who thought, no, there's people always at the front of the battle, at the front of the activity, who think, yeah, what are you doing back there, wasting your time? This is what's really making things happen. No, no, no. It's in the place of prayer. It's in the secret place where the king is being told, take these three arrows and strike the ground with them. Most people don't see the sense or the value in that. They chalk it up to empty liturgy, ceremony. But the prophet understood, no, the future war, the outcome of the future war is not being determined on the battlefield. It's being determined now. Events are being determined now that are miles away, perhaps even months away. We have to be a people that are led by the Spirit of God. I know that we got a mixture of maturity levels, a mixture of giftings, and for some of you this doesn't come natural. But the day is coming when it will, if you believe. Here's what it says concerning the most significant prayer in Romans. This is what it says. We do not know how to pray as we ought. Listen, that is a fundamental assessment of your capacity right there. The Spirit of God says, listen, you think you know how to pray, and so you pray what you know, which usually is around what you need or what the people you love and feel for need. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But that is a superficial level of prayer. The kind of prayer that he's looking for is the groaning that matches the groaning of creation, longing for the final outcomes of the kingdom of heaven on earth. This is what Paul prays. He says, listen, we usually are misdirected in our prayer because we don't know how to pray as we ought, but there's something that God has put inside us that groans, that groans, And you may not be in touch with that thing in you that groans, but there is something inside of you, if you are born again, that groans. And out of that comes the most important cries that reach the ear of God. And that is the kind of prayer that seeks first the kingdom of God because it's beyond your knowledge, beyond your wheelhouse, beyond your understanding, beyond your comfort zone, beyond your desires. So God, I pray today that not only will we be in a position in the future to pray effective prayers, 
but that you would do something, put a mark in our lives today about what it is we're going for, what it is we're aiming at, what it is we anticipate church should be about. You reminded us that you said my house will be a house of prayer, a contending for nations. God, that's what we long for. Can you say amen? <laughs> you know, we, we struggle here sometimes because there's a tension between wanting to pray what God wants us to pray and needing to pray what you guys need so that you keep coming here on Sundays. <laughs> and if we sing too far away from your needs, people stop coming because it takes a while to get us focused away from our present emergencies and onto what he desires. But that's the kind of disciple we're producing. So we're, it's a delicate balancing act because we want to advance, we want to do things, but we don't want to lose three quarters of the room in the meantime. But here's the beauty, beautiful thing. Our capacity to pray for things and to contend for things further at arm's length and even further than that from us is increasing. And that reflects a, an increase of faith. And so, Father, we say thank you that you are increasing our faith. Thanking that, that you are making us a people who can reach into the invisible, reach through the veil, Lord, and uh, see with the eyes of the Spirit. Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. So the Lord gave me a word this morning, and uh, you're, you're going to probably say, "What? Well, that's not a new word. Yeah, none of it's new. <laughs> none of it's new. The Word, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made by the Word. And so uh, we are... We are not looking for always something new. We are looking for the word, which is ancient, which is old, which is eternal. Because the word gives us a template for what it is we are meant to be. Because, you know, as, uh, as John wrote wonderfully, he said, we do not know how we shall appear. So, man, listen to that. I mean, think about that in the light of what I just said. We don't know how to pray, and we don't know how to appear. Right? We don't, you know, we don't know what should, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a believer? Well, it starts with believing. Yeah, but what do we, what do we do? What are the characteristics? No, 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 no. You don't want to start there. That's a bad starting place. Hello? That's not a kingdom starting place. You know what a kingdom starting place is? It's always around birth. Oh, it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, we are geared, we are geared around the wrong starting point as human beings. We are geared around how things appear. We are, we're, we are geared around well, what should I say? What should I do? Now, to be fair, what we say, what we do is not immaterial. It's not unimportant. 
It's the question of how do you get there? How do you get to doing and saying the right things so that you line up with God's desire for your life? How do you get there? And here's my point. You don't start there. That's a, that's a finished place. That's an outcome. It's not a beginning. Oh, I need, to, I need to act nicer. I need to act better. I need to, you know, my wife says I should do this, this, and this. And I, well, the pastor lastly preached, and I've got a list of, you know, a hundred things I need to do this week to be a good Christian. I'm not sure if I can fit it all in. But that's sometimes the way we approach, you know. Okay, good Christians, well, we read three chapters a day and pray for an hour. And, uh, of course, you know, we want to we wanna groan and intercede for an hour. And it's like, you know, if you, did, if you tried to do all the things you're supposed to do as a Christian, you would, you would have 58 hours a day worth of stuff. But here's our starting point. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what we should pray. Seriously? Like, isn't that a little misguided? We don't know what we should pray. There's lots of things to pray for. No, I'm, I'm telling you, we do not know how to pray. You can say, oh, Lord, make me a better Christian. That's great. That's great. But you don't know how that's going to, you know, my idea of what's going to make me a better Christian. You know, I could probably be a better Christian if I made more money. <laughs> I could probably be a better Christian if I had a bigger house. Because, you know, then, then, then I could have people in. We could do home groups, Bible studies, and... That would be a huge aid to me being a better Christian. So, Lord, I'm going to pray for a bigger house. Because it's, you know, it fits in the line of the outcomes that seem to be right. Oh, God. So I've entitled this message, yes, I do have a title. First things first. First things first. Kingdom outcomes hinge on kingdom beginnings. When, When God wanted you to be different he didn't say be different right he said be born again that's how he starts everything everything starts in the kingdom with a seed he said i'm gonna i'm gonna do something in you because the stuff you're presently working with let me be fair to you the stuff you're presently working with a conscience willpower uh, an, a, a christian ethic a morale a moral guide all of those things are useless in becoming a child of God. Well, hold it, hold it. You mean, you mean I can have an ethic that's correct? I can have a morality that's correct? I can have even a theology that's correct? I can have behaviors that are correct and still not have begun to be a son of God? Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the point. That's the entire message that Jesus brought to Israel. Because they had a system. They had honed this system of correct behaviors. They had, they had developed it more than any other civilization on the face of the earth. And Jesus said, what you got here is the worst possible thing ever. What you've got is a nice facade with decay underneath. You've got paint over mold. Decay, corruption, death is all that you have inside of that. Because you are incapable of producing righteousness in yourself. Incapable. Because righteousness is not what we see. 
The kingdom of God does not come with observation. It is not the external behavior. It is not the top of the cake. It's everything inside and where it came from. And so first things first is if we're going to be this thing, if we're going to be Christians, we've got to start at the right place. And that's Jesus' essential message. So he shared that with Nicodemus. This is what he said in John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless uh, you do, unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I love this. I love the way Jesus talks. It's like the guy says something and Jesus does not respond in like kind. <laughs> I just love that. It's like, man, he, he loves to confound our expectations. He loves to confound our wisdom. However we think it should be, and if, if we're, the more convinced we think it should be, the more the need is that he should defy that thing. So I love the way he does this. I mean, it doesn't sound like a normal conversation. Just read it as though it was a normal conversation, and then you realize, holy smokes. Jesus, don't you hear? Can't you do a regular conversation? You'd never say that. Most, most assuredly, unless a man is... So he's steering the conversation. Yeah, whatever. And Nicodemus comes into line. Okay, born again. Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Jesus answered, I say to you, unless one is born of the spirit of water, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Once again, he doesn't answer. He's just bringing the word, just bringing truth. Well, doesn't he care that he's understood? No. He's not care- he doesn't care to be understood. Because later on, we know that he says things like this. He says, the words I speak to you. And he said this in the context of his disciples, not understanding what he said. He said, the words I speak to you are spirit and life. I don't care that you don't understand them right now. Well, why is this important? For one reason, we have built church on the template that everything happens we must understand. In fact, we hire preachers on the basis that they communicate things to us in a way that we will understand. And that's the way we measure them. Okay, whoa. Could we have gotten something wrong? Is it possible that we're doing things not entirely correct? Maybe. How can a man be born? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? He be born. Jesus answered and said, Unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Thank you for that, Jesus. You've clarified nothing. But you see, Jesus, Jesus is reaching over time and space. And he says, he says in, what he sees is there's an opening. And so I'm going to sow a seed in here. What you want is a harvest. I'm going to give you a seed. What you want is me to define the end goal so that you can pretend to be there. 
You want a behavior of what you should look like, you know, what, what is my God's desired outcome so you could make a beeline for that desired outcome. That's not how a kingdom works. God is a God of processes. And if you want his outcomes, you go to, have to go to his beginnings. First things first. And so one of the things he's doing is he's, he's taking a man who, who is esteemed for his understanding and confounding his understanding. That's first things first. First thing I got to do is get you trust, is to stop trusting in how you figure this out. And so it's going to be enigmatic. It's going to be a mystery. Yeah, but then I have to wonder whether you know what you're talking about. I don't care. Because I know this, is that there's something inside of you that wants truth. And if you want it bad enough, it doesn't matter how confusing my words are, that seed's going to make its way in, and it's going to germinate and produce something. That's what I'm after. I believe This is what Jesus is saying when he's doing this. I believe in the power of life. I sow seeds. If it falls on good grounds, it's just going to produce. I don't need that ground to understand the seed. That's irrelevant. I want it to to be an incubator to produce the seed, which will be that thing that it wants, but through a process instead of getting the cart before the horse. So... (laughs) Hallelujah. 1 John 5, 4. This is, this is why God does it this way. He says, listen, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And so there is, there is something, a way of doing things, a way of bringing the kingdom that's not natural, that doesn't begin with you understanding, that doesn't begin with you initiating a series of behaviors, that doesn't understand with you having the template and the roadmap of where this is going and how to get there. It starts with the simplicity of birthing. Something has to be birthed. That's why, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but that's why Romans 8 kind of prayer is important. It, why? Because it's birthing prayer. Go, go and read it. It's not just prayer, it's birthing prayer because the kingdom of heaven always comes out of things that are birthed. Father, I pray, God, that we would line, in, line up with your pattern. Hallelujah. So here's our issue. Here's our problem. Once... Once we are disposed to doing the will of God, then we want to go straight for the harvest. We got to go straight for the product. And what God is trying to say, and I shared a message some while, some time ago about how God, you know, he says, my ways are not your ways. And he, he said, you know, if, I, if people are in need and need food, I don't give them food. I do this other thing. And there's, it's this five-step process. That's how I do it. Now, it's not that God doesn't give people food. You have to understand. But the mechanics of the kingdom of heaven are produced in a certain way, but men think another way. We think go as fast as you can to the product part. And when it comes to us, it's what does God want? God wants, where's the list? God wants people that are humble. God wants people that worship. God wants people that pray. So we, we make the list And then usually what we do is we cherry pick in the behaviors we want and we go to the ones that we can do. And then we, 
you know, we present that continuously, and that becomes our life. Presenting the behaviors we think God wants from us. What are the characteristics? Be humble. Okay, be humble. And it ends up being this cheap external facade. Oh, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. When all the time in your heart, you're sucking on the glory. God, you must be so happy to have me. Nobody else does your will like I do it. But let me throw out this, but it's the, it's the Lord. Yeah, that's our version of humility. Take all the credit internally, but pretend like we don't. Does that remind you of anybody? Like the Pharisees? Present the right words, the right surface, the right appearance. Because that's what, that's what we do as mankind is, is, is we produce outcomes. But God is saying, if you want to be a child of God, you need to birth outcomes. So once we become disposed of doing the, what we're supposed to, the will of God, our question ceases to be what and should be start to become how. Let me explain that. We're always about, you know, what? What should I be? What sh- how should I appear? What should I act like? What, is a, what does a good Christian do? So we line up the behaviors and the outcomes, the characteristics, and rather God say, no, I want you to stay focused on how. And how I do it is through birthing something inside of you, through a seed. So the human way is to fabricate it, reproduce it by imitation, discipline, or obedience. Now here's the scripture the Lord kind of impressed on me this morning. I, I wrote down, or I copied and pasted, more, more than I needed. Anyway, let me read this whole section. It's John 1, 1-13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not, did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came as a witness to bear witness of that light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did, uh, his own did not receive him. But... As many as received, this is a part I really want you to focus on. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, I'm... uh, I'm advantaged in many ways a lot more than some of you. And here's my advantage. I don't know how to be good. I tried to be good. I mean, the story of my life is me trying to please the adult world and failing again and again and again and again. Whatever expectations seem to be put on me, I find myself always doing the opposite. And, and I'm not entirely done with that pattern. <laughs> you think, doesn't sound like an advantage. <laughs> and the advantage is this, is uh, I can't, 
I can't fabricate things or versions of the good. I just, I just can't produce anything that, that would be suitable. And so I told you this story before. I mean, even as a child. I mean, I, I was always the kid that was brought to the front of the rows when we had rows in school. In grade two, my teacher not only brought me to the front of the rows, she moved my desk around so I was within arm's reach. Uh, you know, she spent a lot of time with her hands on my shoulders while she was teaching. When I went up to, to uh, recess, the principal would find me when it, it was his day, and we'd walk around holding hands together. <laughs> and and I, remembered, I remembered thinking, what is wrong with me? You know, and I thought, I thought well, it's... It's not that I can't do good or don't want to do good, but, but all these teachers, they, they talk to each other, and so they anticipate me, and I get into trouble because they know I'm the bad kid. So here's what I'm going to do. When we move, and we moved halfway through grade four, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a new leaf. I'm going to be the good boy. I got there, and so they gave me the option of sitting in the back, first time ever, other than my first day at kindergarten. After that, they, they never let me choose my seat. So I started in the back row. By the end of the week one, I was at the front row. By the end of week two, my desk was touching the teacher's desk. See, there was two types of people in Jesus' day. There were the sinners. In the culture of the day, they were outcasts. Because the culture was inher- inherently religious culture, I mean, they had codified, according to the law of Moses, but they went way beyond the law and codified these behaviors, and they had behaviors upon behaviors upon behaviors to make sure that if, even if you didn't do this one perfectly, that this, this, this gauntlet of things you ought to do will actually be a buffer between you not doing that thing. You know what I mean? So it's like, we'll set the bar so high and I'll have all these systems in place that there's never a danger of you actually doing the wrong thing. And the guys that were best at this, they just made their way to the top. They just, you know, the guys, so who were these guys? Who were these people? Never mind that when Jesus came, he said, yeah, what you got here that you think you're so proud of is absolutely nothing. It's, it's rotten. It's actually warmed over death. You, you are filled with dead man's bones. Inwardly, you are ravenous beasts, but outwardly, you're this. What, 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 what was it they were using to get ahead? Well, they, it was their own righteousness. They were the type of people that when there was an adult world to please, there's just some people that can rise to the occasion. They live off the, the smile. They live off the, the pat on the back. They live off... Oh, you are such a good boy. You, you are, oh, you are, they, they're, so, they're driven by shame to the point that shame is so, and disappointment of the adult world around them is so painful, they will do anything to not face that ever. Others of us couldn't muster that kind of strength. You know, I remember my son, he had this beautiful teacher in grade one. She was sweet, she was gentle, she was like, she was amazing. I thought, who doesn't love this teacher? Well, my son, Matthew, oh, one of my sons who shall remain nameless, he, he was in trouble all the time, all the time in grade one. 
And then, uh, you know, so we just, you know, teacher's conference after teacher's conference, you know, the, and, I, and I remember, uh, I, I couldn't figure it out, right? I couldn't figure out why, you know, because he, and, and we had problems at home as well, but, but, you know, I could get him to do things, but she couldn't get him to do anything. And it wasn't until much later that I realized the catalyst she was using was the wrong one. She was using shame. And, and we didn't do shame at home. And Breeze Boss generally don't do shame. <laughs> this has no effect. <laughs> so, so we just didn't, didn't do it. The only thing you could do with uh, our kids is distraction or coercion. <laughs> and I'm not saying that that's going to produce righteousness, but it creates a semblance of order so that we can, have our, we can actually get through to the next day. So what happened is in grade two, he had a male teacher who was pretty gentle by most standards, but all of a sudden he became this golden child. And, uh, and one of the parents one day was saying to him, yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even have known, because their kid played with our kid in grade two, I wouldn't even have known that Matthew was a problem child. And I thought, wow, what a, what a difference. But there's certain catalysts that just will never work. Now, when it comes to human behavior, well, we usually find some catalyst that works for some kids better than others. But God is, but you can't transfer that to being a son of God. God is not interested in those catalysts. They exist. Reward and punishment exist. But he's saying, listen, there's something better than the threat of punishment and the promise of reward. The power of, to be what you're supposed to be is not in those, it's in the seed of life. Wow. It's, it's in something that is spiritual but eternal, a life source that is planted inside of you and that if you just create an environment for it to grow, it doesn't matter what is presently on the surface of your life. Now, I'm not saying don't do anything about the things on the surface of your life, but you just, all you're trying to do, the best you can do to those things is manage them. You're just trying to limit them, you know, from being utterly evil as you wait for the fruit of the harvest to emerge in your life. That's actually the kingdom way. The problem with that is we got to wait for the harvest. Look to your neighbor. Look to the left. Look to the right. And think this or say this, I'm willing to wait for the harvest. I'm willing to wait for the harvest. Now, this is important. This is critical. Because, listen, if we're not willing to wait for the harvest, yeah, say it to your wife. Say it to your husband. Absolutely. If you're not willing to wait for the harvest, then what you do is you inspire something that cannot produce the righteousness of God. Is that you actually add with your expectations, your shaming, your anger, your whatever, whatever you have in your toolkit to inspire behavior will not produce the righteousness of God. It will produce something that looks like it, but is not that. And so part of what God wants is he wants us to have a culture of love. Not a love that's permissive, not a love that's naive, not a love that that doesn't expect that there should be appropriate behaviors, but a love that is patient, that realizes, okay, we're just trying to get along for the moment, but 
there is a harvest coming that maybe not next week or the month after or the next year, but there is a gradual uh, 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 harvest that is rising up in your life that is real righteousness. On the other hand, there are things that will always be in our midst that are produced by the will of the flesh, that are produced by the will of man. And here's the problem. What if we don't even know the difference? Well, you know, I'm here, I'm a Christian today, and you're saying all these things, and I, I think the good that's in my life is produced by God. But how do you know? I'm not going to answer that. Because you can't know right now. You'll know in the, in the process of time because there are characteristics to the fruit of heaven that are not in the things that are achieved by flesh or by the will of man. For one, humility. Humility. Now, sometimes we think we know what humility is, but and I'm, humility is a hard thing to define, except that one of the things that it does, it has the innate ability to not take credit for its own success. That's one of the things humility does. See, I, I realized that I, at one point in my life, I realized I was supposed to be humble. That this was a high-level virtue for God. Because God resists the proud, right? And he, and he gives grace to the humble. So I thought, well, I, I, want, I want to be humble. <laughs> you know, it's like, I need some of that grace. So, so we, uh, but here's the thing. We, we don't know how to be humble. And so uh, we're feeling entirely successful for what we do, because you know what? Uh, I was the guy who got up at 5 a.m. and prayed for three hours. You know, and uh, at hour one, I was thinking of quitting, but no, no. I am dedicated. I am given to the things of heaven. Others may not, but... <laughs> now, to me, that was, that was one of those things. You know, I had grace to do that until God decided to res- resist me. I had these outcomes in my life that I thought, well, I am such an obedient son. I am such a great Christian. Except here's the thing. I I was only evaluating my life by a narrow group of behaviors that I prize more than others. This is what God is trying to say. Listen, I want to bring forth righteousness from you that has characteristics. I want to... One of them being humility. And humility never credits or diminishes, credits itself or diminishes others for not having the thing that it didn't do. <laughs> right? You remember when in the Corinthian, uh, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's talking about their pride and everything. He says, and because they have pride, and because of pride, they have divisions. And people are competing. And this is what he says What do you have that wasn't given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you lord it over others as though it wasn't given? Oh, no, I'm doing this. Oh, yeah, say that with a straight face. But what's the problem if that, you know, at the beginning I was so aware of the effort required to do the things I thought God wanted that it just could not escape the cost and my mindset around the cost. Well, I'm doing the right things, and my neighbor here, my roommate, other people in my life are not willing to pay the price. So in other words, 
you want to inspire them to dip into their, their, their bucket of human strength to do what's necessary so you won't be inconvenienced by their incompleteness. Yes, that's not church. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life believes and waits. Believes and waits. And we're trying to create a culture Again, that does not excuse sin. It corrects sin. It encourages. It it brings truth. But it doesn't ever write each other off. Even if seven times 70, we fail in that thing. This too is impossible. <laughs> so we're always coming up against this the thing that I should be doing, I can't do. That also is God's plan. It's called divine frustration. Because by having this impossible goal that, that, that you always fail to, and I mean, you could deceive yourself like the Pharisees and think you're doing it all right, but you're just lying to yourself. But he said, I want you to continuously fail Because the nature of human strength is you can't sustain those things. And eventually they will fail. But after you've failed enough times, you're going to lose confidence in that thing. But that's that's how God, like that is when I think about the path of my life, there were times when I was doing things, you know, and, and getting praise and you know, doing things correctly, they were inspired by, wow, you're such a this or that, the other thing, until I wasn't. Until I couldn't do it, until God revealed that, yeah, this is what this really is. Why? Because I want you to live by every word which proceeds from my mouth. I want you to live a supernatural life. I want to birth a nature inside of you, not a group of behaviors. And when I change your nature, discipline is no longer needed. You just do what you are. So one of the indicators is how hard do you have to try? Again, I'm not saying don't try hard. You need to try hard. But eventually God said, yeah, you know that thing that you do so well over here? Mm, This is what it is. It's the result of you trying hard. There's no righteousness in that. That's why, you wonder why Paul was so eager to embrace and rejoice over his weaknesses? Because he realized the places where he was weak was the places where he allowed the seed of the word of God into his being. And he began to produce a harvest. Where you think you're strong, you're like, okay, Jesus, I got this. Well, for now, we'll deal with that later. Uh, There's so many things tied up into this, so many things connected. But the bottom line is this, a people are going to rise who are not just morally correct, who are not just in possession of an important theology, who don't just have the right goals in mind, who just don't, who aren't politically motivated to act properly in the church so that they can be esteemed and elevated and given the the best seats in the house. But a people are going to arise born of the word of God. Transfer. You know, this is why, this is why God, 
longs to bring the gospel to those people like me who could not do anything right. You know, sometimes we look out there at the world, we think, oh, this guys he's really a successful business person, and he's this and he's that. Well, if we got him saved, that'd be great. Now, chances are, chances are he would not be great for the kingdom. This is why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, listen, you guys that are, that are going down this path of perfecting your behaviors and, uh, you know, who value strength, look at, your, look at your ranks. Not many noble. Not many strong. Why? Because I have a hard time with those kinds of people. They don't let me in. They do it in their strength and they think it's the same. There's a form of godliness and there's a manifestation of godliness. And the form of godliness is worthless, absolutely worthless. So there, this is what Jesus is trying to say to us. Listen, there are things, there are behaviors in you that are born of duty, born of compulsion, born of a need to be thought well of, born of, well, my consideration for my reputation, born of, well, you know, People punished me with this attitude and excluded me, so I want to belong, so I'm not going to stop doing that so that I belong. On the surface, those seem to bring adequate kinds of returns, but they are not just something God wants to diminish in you. It's something he hates. It is anti-righteousness. Anti-righteousness, not just... You got that? You hear that, Brian? Anti-righteousness. <laughs> Had to fit that in. <laughs> now, <laughs> I know we're running out of time here. Let me read one more scripture. There's uh, this time of Martha. Let's, listen, Martha, Martha, right? Now it happened that as they went, they entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried preoccupied and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Now, this scripture is very problematic because you know what? We need things done. Honestly, when you're a church and a community, you need things done, right? And and we've got a preponderance of Mary's in here. You know, we, we've got... We, we've got a, a large number of Marys. We need a few Marthas. Except we don't want any Marthas. And again, it's not that we want servant gifts. But, but what Jesus was putting his finger on is, Martha, you are preoccupied with many things. Because you've created an identity around a certain kind of posture, you actually are not willing to come and sit in a place where the word will come inside of you and change it. Mary is one of these people that is, is she's, she's connected to that word. This is the better thing. Because she's going to be changed and you're going to continue serving and resenting. Now the service is not wrong, but he's saying like, but I know what comes next. 
I'm the only one that's doing the right stuff. You know what? I'm not saying this because I'm better. I'm saying this because if you are a Martha, if, if there's stuff in us, and again, th- these are two very neat camps, but we don't always rep- we don't represent either or. We represent both usually. We are the Martha and we are the Mary. But here's what I want. I want righteousness to manifest out of you from the love of God. If there is service in your life, I want it to come out of compassion and love and the power of God so that at the end of the day, you're never resentful. See, when you do something by the grace of God, you're never resenting others. You are happily doing what it is you are doing because there's a grace. It is its own reward. But if duty is what compels you or, you know, I'm going to do this so others will be inspired to do this, and then they're not inspired. So that, here's what I'm saying. That harvest, that things you're doing, does it endure forever or does it only endure for a season? If it only endured for a season, there's something wrong in the mix. God has the means to change our nature. You might be in a marriage, you might be in a friendship, you might be in a, in a, a group, a social system like we, you know, obviously we have one here. And there are, there are challenges associated with walking with one another. But here's what we want to know. We want to know, okay, which things are born of God in me, Lord? Which things are born of God? How do I know whether this is the product of my strength? How do I know if this thing I'm doing in order that others will like me more? How do I know if I'm doing these things in order to excel in this culture. How do I know for sure? Your attitude towards those that don't is the greatest indicator of what that thing is. It doesn't tell the whole story, but it's one of those things, you know, that when you go in the fridge and something stinks, you may not know what it is, but something off here. Your attitude towards others, your ability to love, give mercy, wait patiently, comes from not them, but from how you hold your righteousness. And if you have a hard time relating to others, and if there's an increasing group of people you will not talk to, something is off. You see, God is creating a community of people that are born of heaven, who realize none of their righteousness is their own. And so when they serve, they don't expect reward. They don't feel responsible for the good that's coming. They're, you know, they're surprised when they're praised. They don't consider it a great thing because it's a righteousness that's born of God, produced by his life flowing through us. Now let me quickly close with this. Jesus said, those that believe out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What flows out of our life is not the correct, should not be the correct behavior born of effort, but should be the fruit of a river. Do we know the difference? We know a little. We know in part. We know somewhat. But we want to grow in that knowledge. So here's what I want us to pray. Let's stand up together. Father, I pray today 
that that we would discover the power of life working inside of us. That, Father, that our behaviors would be in a new way fueled by a river of living water, an eternal source of power, an eternal igniting energy that causes us to want to do and to do the right things and to think nothing of it after we've done it. Father, I pray that that would be our reality. And I pray right now that all throughout the room, that all the things that we're doing out of guilt, all the things we're doing out of shame, all the things we're doing out of the need to be affirmed, all the things we're doing out of fear, all the things, every other catalyst would start to weigh heavy on us, that we'll realize the price I'm paying for these behaviors is not worth it. That's when your heart starts to move towards the grace. When you start to feel the weight of those behaviors, that's, that's actually God at work. And you might, at that point, you might start to lash out at people in your life and say, you need to help me more because I'm feeling the weight of this. No, actually, it's God saying, I want to shift your source of power. I want to shift what you're living out of. This is about you. Others, yeah, there's probably lots of things others should do. But that's not really the issue. There's power. There's power. There's power. Um, Those online, thank you so much for being a part of our family. Uh, We love you. Have an amazing rest of your week.